Okay, and you're sure the smiley face with tears isn't like an exasperated sigh or something? I told you. She probably liked your joke. They aren't going to stop. <clears throat> Guys? Yeah, okay, but I wasn't trying to make a joke. That's probably why she found it funny. You couldn't make an intentional joke to save your life. This would be easier if you just showed me the conversation. Absolutely not. Uh, guys, did you hear me say I was hitting record? Promise. I won't make fun of your flirting attempts. No. Hello. We are recording. What? what? Why didn't you give us a warning? I did. You two were just too busy cut up in the dating drama. Okay, we'll pick this up later. Yeah, but you haven't told me if coffee later with CC is an actual date or just coffee. Oh, Sam. Even I know the answer to that. Okay, can I go now? Sorry, Louisa. Only if you're sure you're done. Mm -hmm. Yep, okay. Go ahead. So, sorry. I've been doing more research into the symbols from the Ashmal pages that Sam got a hold of for me. After the symbols that lined linked back to Venice, remember? Yeah, those letters about immortality. Yes, which we are not talking about today. So I was hitting dead ends with a lot of the information on the page. There was either not enough info to have a sensible translation, or what I could translate just led nowhere. There was some text that I originally believed to be Ionic, but the translations made absolutely no sense. So I looked into it again, and it turns out that it was actually Arcadio Cypriot. It specifically used the Cypriot syllabary, which naturally led me to, drum roll please, the Kingdom of Cyprus. Wow, that's actually a bit of a jump from Venice, politically speaking. There was a time kicking off around the 1200s where Cyprus became the heart of trade with Asia and Africa, and it didn't make them the biggest fans of Italian merchants. Okay, but Ron, you're forgetting that Venice got very involved once Catherine Canaro came into the picture. You know, they were forming that kind of alliance. Well, they were trying to form an alliance against the encroaching Ottoman Empire. And James II married her to, you know, formalize said alliance, but he didn't make it long past the wedding. And eventually Canaro was forced to abdicate the entire Cypriot kingdom to Venice. Exactly. That's part of the timeline that I ended up focusing on. Cross-referencing with some of the other symbols, I managed to trace some documents dated from 1505 that had cryptic mentions of someone who I originally thought was James II of Cyprus. But the suspicious thing was that the mentions were written in the present tense, as though it was talking about his current and future plans and intentions. Well, okay, but that obviously couldn't have possibly been James II because he died more than two decades earlier. My thoughts exactly, which made me look even deeper. Now, something that tipped me off that I was in the wrong track was mentions of getting revenge on a Lusignan woman. That really threw me off because for a while there, I was thinking that this was a zealot follower of James trying to fulfill his last wishes or something. Well, if this person was fanatical enough, he might have just been writing about James in the present tense as some denial about James's passing. I've read about similar behavior in this pirate crew that refused to believe their captain died, said pirates supposedly lived for over 150 years, 
But my theory is the name and persona was passed from one person to another and so on. So the legacy would live. I can't really tell if the crew was in on it or if they really believe their captain was immortal. But I mean, if John Gomez could live 20 years after his quote unquote death because people keep claiming he's alive, well, why not anyone else? Hey, but um, back with like Kingdom of Cyprus, what, what would a dead guy have against his mother? Again, my thoughts exactly. And it made even less sense because James II's mother was already dead at this point. So I went back to the translation and realized I'd translated the dialect wrong. Ha <laughs> ha. What I originally thought was a phrase that meant James, second of his name, was actually closer to James, son of James. But James II was born to a John, not a James. James III, however, was the son of James II. Okay, but that makes even less sense. The over-enthusiastic follower carrying out a dead king's demands. Okay, maybe I could see that, but James III died as a baby. He was like less than a year old. Yep. Okay, here's where I might lose you, Sam, but try to bear with me. Oh, God. So, say James III survived, miraculously survived. He could potentially have a grudge against his mother because it's not a completely unfeasible theory that she had her own baby killed to keep her seat of power. Oh, that's that's good. And she wasn't going to get her own hands dirty, obviously. So she hired an assassin or ordered a servant to do it, but they couldn't bring themselves to, to kill a literal baby. So they take little James somewhere safe and say the deed is done. Little James... Little James grows up and asks where he's from and gets out that he was meant to be a king, but his mother wanted power and then she couldn't even keep the throne that she was meant to be his. Uh, why are y'all like this? Why? Why? Okay, first of all, Louisa, you said the text referenced a Lusignan woman. You're all automatically assuming mommy issues, but his aunt, Queen Charlotte of Cyprus, is a far more likely contender here. She was the legitimate daughter of King John II and his wife, Helena Paleologena, a literal Byzantine princess. James II was actually the illegitimate son and usurped the throne from her. <laughs> That's definitely given me some Rhaenyra and Egon II vibes, but is there anything to indicate she'd have been involved beyond admittedly a hell of a motive? Uh, yeah. First of all, it ran in the family. Her mother murdered Charlotte's first husband, John of Portugal, so her daughter could attain a better marriage to Louis of Savoy. Second, they literally went to war over James II's usurpation, and Charlotte constantly schemed against his wife, Catherine, to boot. This isn't even mentioning that she and her supporters imprisoned her half-brother's natural daughter, Charlotte of Lusignan, and left her to rot and die in captivity at eleven. Charlotte had far more motive, power, and political ties thanks to the Savoys to whack her brother and nephew. Mm, yeah, okay. That's also a totally viable hypothesis, but the link I can't figure out is why would the Lusignan, because I'm not saying it in French, why would their family scramble for power end up connected to the Ashmal text? As far as I could tell, they have no aspirations or connections to any alchemical machinations. And so far, 
this is the only thread I've unraveled from the pages that did not link back to Akimi in some way. <coughs> oh no. Do you have a theory, Angie? Okay, so is anyone thinking what I'm thinking? No one no. is thinking vampires. Then how did you know I was thinking that? No, 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 absolutely not. I'm not letting you turn completely normal historical theory into one of your angieisms. What what part of this is normal? Okay, are the Lusignans a complicated and messy bit of history? Yes. And if the theories about James the Three are right, if, 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 it only gets messier, but newsflash, that's most of history. People doing awful shitty things to one another might as well be normal because it is normal, and it certainly makes more sense than trying to bring vampires into the narrative when there is zero evidence for it. The word vampire getting dropped in the Ashmo text is hardly zero evidence. Angie! It is zero evidence because, as Louisa has discussed before, metaphors are a thing. Okay, fine, fine, fine. If it makes you happy, Let's go with Louisa's working theory that vampires, witches, and demons are just faction names in this secret group. <laughs> because they are. It's obvious. Um, it's boring. We'll like it. It is not boring, Angie. Okay, okay, let's just say this super secret organization just so happened to name their factions after notable supernatural entities for no other reason than it's sounding cool and has no links to any other kind of supernatural ongoings. You know, never mind, this group's whole MO is linked with alchemy, which is inherently steeped in the occult, so... Are you ever going to get to your point? You wanted a link. It's right there. So, assuming James III survived his adulthood because he was spared away by some kind soul, and if the content of those letters are accurate and he was going after his mother or his aunt, He's gonna need some kind of backing, power, money, support, people. Secret King, who was robbed of his throne, meets secret organization in need of prominent members. James could have been a member or ally of this group mentioned in the text, and he's probably not as linked with the alchemy because his focus was on his mommy issues or auntie issues. Huh. Angie. Why do you insist on putting so much energy into your dead-end theories about Bigfoot and Krampus when you have a genuine knack for finding viable connections? Because I know those theories you called dead-ends are just as feasible as anything you decide to pursue. And even if you don't want to hear it, I mean, actual vampires is a lot more viable a theory here. Oh my god, Angie. How? With no proof of who he really is, this guy could have been just like any schmuck off the street who heard of this king who died as a baby and decided to take his name. Any secret cabal is naturally going to be suspicious. I'm probably not going to give him enough significance that he ends up without being directly linked in a book that seems to be their manifesto. Unless he comes up with like some other power that he could offer to them. Like being an immortal super being with maybe his own posse of vampires. Okay, I'm happy Angie is realizing how ridiculous that sounds. What? That's that but is not what I I'm said. I'm kind of offended you're ignoring the fact that the Lusignans, as kings of Cyprus, Jerusalem, and Armenia, definitely had ties to the Saint Catherine of Mount Sinai monastery. 
Uh, I mean, it's not my forte in history, but I mean, I guess good for them for supporting a convent. Excuse me? A convent? St. Catherine's is the oldest known working library in the world. Uh, Sam? Maybe Do you, you have should, any idea um, how important St. Catherine's is? They have texts that are singularly priceless, and many we're still discovering about early saints, some of the only known Syriac gospel translations, Crusader and Byzantine history, and this isn't even getting into the palimpsests. We're still discovering that they all the way back to the Greeks. Oh, no. Oh, you know, you know, you're totally right, Sam. Thank you. Oh, no. That is a very important detail because you're telling me that the Lusignans, I guess that's how you say it, frequented a library sold and it was patronized by both the Byzantines and the Crusaders that has priceless one-of-a-kind text that we still don't know all about, a library that must have evidence of the golden donut. Whoa. Now you've done it. Okay, okay. So this is definitely the missing link to my entire working theory. Run! I'm on it. You see what you did, Sam? You see what you did? How long ago did you get on my case about giving them leads, huh? What did you just do? Fuck. Cannon Fodder is part of the Fundamentals Network. Cannon Fodder is produced by the Fundamentals. Editing by Corey Shrek. Sound mixing by Corey Shrek. Directed by Corey Shrek. Script by Diana Ramsarin, Alejandro Meneses, Bo Costa, and Corey Shrek. Voice cast, Diana Ramsarin, Alejandro Meneses, Bo Costa, and Corey Shrek. Special thanks to Thaddeus Stokloss.